1 Kings 17, verse 17. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Amen. Thanks, Will. Good morning, everyone. We continue our series in Elijah. I just want to put this clock on because I've been rabbiting on for the last few Sundays and going far too long. So let's close in prayer. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be together, that we can look at your word together, that we can learn together, that we can have fellowship and encourage one another afterwards, discuss the passage, discuss what we learnt, that we can learn more about you. And as has already been prayed, Lord, May you use this process to draw us closer to yourself that we might walk faithfully with you day by day in increasingly becoming like Jesus. We ask and pray in his name. Everyone said? Amen. Boom. They're not up the back. I need them up the back. Otherwise I'll be doing this all the time. We, uh, boom. Talk amongst yourself. Here we go. This is my heading. When things go from bad to good to worse. It's a bit like life, isn't it? We live in this fallen, broken world. Nothing is perfect. Nothing is stable. Nothing is unbreakable. Nothing is unlosable. It's a world of moth, rust, dust and thieves. If things go well and smoothly, if everyone is well and happy... Just wait. One of my wife's, my wife's favourite movie. (laughs) Don't you know what it is? What's your favourite movie? What's your favourite movie? Not game to say. While you were sleeping. While you were sleeping. Have you seen that movie? If you haven't seen that movie, go home and watch it this afternoon. Oh, it's a real tearjerker. It's actually quite lovely. There's one of my favourite scenes in that movie because I 
because I love my wife, I watch all of these romantic comedies with her. Well, not all of them. Often when I go out to a meeting or when I'm out visiting or whatever I'm doing and I'm out and when I come home, she is invariably watching one of these things. Do you know how many there are? There are thousands. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with this more. There's a scene in that movie, While You Were Sleeping, where the dad, who was in charge of a furniture business, has a couple of sons. One's in hospital and one is helping him in the furniture removalist, but he doesn't want to take dad's the company. He doesn't, want to hand, he doesn't want to receive it. He wants to go do his own thing and different. Anyway, through the process of the movie, the relationship develops and he brings donuts one Sunday morning to the dad who's looking through the obituaries because that's what he does. He collects furniture from people, deceased estates and he's looking through that and the dad says this comment. The son is about to tell him that I don't want the business and uh, he's worried how his dad will take that and the dad says to him when he comes, good to see you. He said, you know, for just one minute, life is good. Everybody's well. Nothing's going wrong for just one minute. To which the son then says, Dad, this is not that minute. (laughs) (laughs) We live in this fallen, broken world where disappointment hits us. We are not immune to life's disappointments or heartaches. I read a book a long, long time ago now. His name was Larry Crabb. You may or may not know him as an author. He said, he hypothesised that in fact he said, we should expect the bad, the sad every day because we're sinners and we live in a fallen world. Bad things happening should be normal. And in fact, we should be surprised and grateful for anything good or glad that happens. Well, I agree with him academically emotionally and personally, I'd much rather ignore the unpleasant and I prefer to pursue happiness. And I don't think I'm alone. I think we were made by God to be happy in him, in knowing him. And because we have fallen away from him, that's the source of our unhappiness and distresses. This world is not what it's supposed to be, not what the creator created it to be initially, and so he's going to make it anew. And so this is not our final home. All of this to say that this is the sort of world this widow is living in. Coming, she's a, uh, in this story, in this chapter, she's come out of the frying pan where she's reached the point, I'm having my last meal, I'm about to die with my son, this is it, it's the end. And now everything has turned around. Suddenly everything has turned good. She's being provided for every day, she's entertaining God's prophet and she probably may very well expect blessings and rewards to come from that. I surmise or guess she may have had the attitude, I have nothing to fear, all of my troubles are over. Well, not in this life they aren't. When things go from bad to good to worse. 1 Kings 17, which we, chapter 17, which we come to the end of today, has four stories in it about Elijah. Firstly, he's in the palace, first one. Then he's by the brook. Then he's in Zarephath, the city where the widow is, and now he's in the house of the widow. And that's today's story. This is the fourth story. And in this story, it's a very simple, short story. It has three main characters, the widow, Elijah, and God. We'll talk about all three this morning. The widow, Elijah, and God. And this story falls into four parts. Do you like charades? First part is there is a situation. Second part, there is her reaction to it, which is very human and just very human and will do. And then there is his response, which is very godly. 
And then there is a result of all of this. So we're going to work our way through this and then come to some applications at the end. I was going to bring some chocolates out for all of the boys and girls if you're in the room and you're doing the crossword puzzle answer questions. If you get all of that done and you get it right, I'll give you a chocolate, okay? Okay? Where are the chocolates? In my office. Do you think I would lie? Just checking. Oh, you can't see them. Oh, we walk by faith in this church. Sweetheart, do you want to go get the chocolates for those who are of, uh, un, have little faith and need developing? And in my, um, what do you call it, glass case, the keys are in there. Oh, you, you have little faith. Are you embarrassed? Jenny, don't be embarrassed. Four stories. Here is the situation, verse 11. Judy's going to do the crossword puzzle. She wants a chocolate. <laughs> after this, after what? Well, after this thing, everything going so well for her, that life had changed, and each day by day, there is flour and there is oil and there is provision. Undoubtedly, they were having some sort of fellowship. Elijah is a man of God. He developed a habit of time alone with God and praying and so on, and she would have been influenced by that. Things are going well. In the midst of things going well, it's only for a minute. I can remember saying to some folks, I don't know, a couple of months ago now, I said, everything in our family is well. Kids are well, grandkids are well, we are well, the kids work as well, everything is just fine. That was several months ago. Since then we've been up and down and, and so have you. It's not untypical. Um, not just yesterday's wedding, but other couples that I have prepared for stuff and some funerals we've been through, people apologise and they say, well, um, you know, our family is a little bit broken, and to which I always say, every family is broken. Every family has a strange person in it. And if you don't, you're it. <laughs> Sorry, Warren, but that's the way it is. After this, suddenly the son gets sick. Well, the kids get sick. But this sickness got worse. And suddenly it became very serious. And then eventually he got to the point where he breathed his last. Frightening. Some of you, as we have, have lost a child. And you know the pain and the agony of that. So that's the situation. Here are some of the chocolates. Oh, it's easy to believe now, isn't it? Yes. Verse 18, what was her reaction to this? What would your reaction be? I remember when my reaction very clearly, and I haven't forgotten it, it was 37 years ago when our third daughter, uh, had, we had been informed that she would not survive birth. And I got very angry with God. Because we had been walking in the path of obedience, we had been doing what he wanted us to do, and... We were serving him in a brand new church and suddenly this hit us. So we gathered together, we prayed in faith, we did all of that. I've told this story before and some of you are familiar with it, some of you won't be. <clears throat> uh, so just to cut a very long story short, it's I told God what I thought of him at that point. And the very words that I used to vent to God is I had a non-Christian husband who was on the edge of our church. He rang me the very next day, that was a Thursday night, Friday he said, how about you and I have lunch? 
And on the phone, he said to me the words that I said to God the night before. He didn't say God said. But what I said to God, you know, you're not listening to me, blah, blah, blah. He says to me, I don't think people are listening to you. I don't think what I had said to God, he said to me. And what did I learn? God had heard every word that I said. And that was his way of saying, I am here. Or oh, what's her reaction? Similar to mine. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me? What have I done wrong? You either complain or you blame. And in this case, she's partly blaming herself, but she's also pointing the finger at him. Did you come here to remind me of my sin and to take my son's life? She's reacting. And we don't all, but many of us do. And she thinks, by me looking after the man of God, I have now drawn God's attention to me and God has now noticed me and now he remembers my sin and I deserve punishment for my sin and God's punishment for my sin is to kill my son. Does that sound like God to you? No. God doesn't behave that way. He works his purposes out, most certainly. Elijah responds, and it's a remarkable response in the midst of it, that when you're walking the path of obedience, he doesn't retaliate, he doesn't rebuke, he doesn't correct. It's pretty much silent. And often that's the best thing to do in the midst of when a person is grieving deeply and is venting. Let them do so. Don't try to correct it. Take it on the chin. That's certainly what Job's friends did for the first seven days. And that was very helpful to him. But after the seven days, they started talking, trying to correct his theology and trying to correct his life and blaming him for his sin. And what does Elijah do? He asks permission. Give me your son. Hand your son over to me. And she remarkably does so. Did that create hope in her? What's he going to do? What can he do? Probably. He took the child in her, uh, from her arms, carries the little fellow. So you know it's a young child because she can carry him and so can he. And carried him to the upper room on, top, on the roof where he had his own lodging, where he was staying. Had a bed in that place and he laid the little boy out on his bed. He's heard this woman vent and say, it's... Is it your fault? Is it my fault? It's what's going on? It's certainly unexpected and Elijah doesn't know because his response is to the Lord, firstly to pray. He cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you done this? Have you brought this tragedy on this widow that I'm staying with by causing her son to die? I don't, he doesn't know. <laughs> have you gone? And we're not told anything that God responds to him or did God prompt him or did he just have a desire or a feeling. There is no precedent for this anywhere in the biblical story up to this point. There's been no resurrections, no raising from the dead recorded in scripture. But this is what a remarkable thing that he does is he stretches himself out on this little boy. Commentators have tried to explain in detail what that meant. There are two other parallels uh, 
Later on, in 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha, so there's Elijah and Elisha, he's the follower after, he's the one that gets the baton passed to him. In chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, I think it's there, yep, um, Elisha has a Shunammite widow's son. And the Bible gives actual detail of saying he put his hands on his hands, his mouth on his mouth, his face on his face, and, you know, he just laid straight on top of the body. And the boy comes back to life. Well, he wakes up, sneezes, coughs seven times or something, and then comes back to life. Strange story. And then in Acts chapter 20, you have the Apostle Paul. Remember that story of Eutychus, the boy who was in the window, and Paul preached on till midnight, and, and he fell asleep, and he fell down, and he was dead on the ground. Remember that story? Bible says, verse 10, that Paul went down and lay on him and then he revived. Well, we're not told any of those details for what that's what Elijah did. Hadn't seen it before, but he does believe that God could do it, obviously. And he petitions the Lord and says, uh, have I missed the verse? He stretched himself on, yeah, that's right, on three times on the boy, and he says, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. Let his soul, literally, return to him. And I, you can read the text two ways, but I read that to say that every time he lay down across the boy, he prayed and then got up to see the response. And he lay down again and prayed and got up and did it a third time. And on the third time, he started to breathe and respond accordingly. And that's at least how I imagined it happened. Shows us that Elijah was petitioning God and he was fervent about it and he was repeating it just like Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane three times Um, and then remarkably the results verse 22 the Lord heard Elijah's cry I think that's powerful God heard Elijah's prayer it almost implies if you didn't pray it it wouldn't happen just like James says you have not because you ask not In this case, that boy comes back to life because Elijah prayed. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's soul returned to him and he lived. Before I move on from that, let me just point this out to you, that we have a soul like that little boy. We have a life part of us, the immaterial part of us, that what death is, the separation from the physical body and that soul, that spirit. That's how James 2.26 defines what death is, that the soul, the spirit can go out. And Elijah is paying for God to bring it back in, just like he did with Adam in, the, in Genesis chapter 2, where he breathes into him the breath of life. That's the only, only biblical precedent that Elijah could possibly have. And knowing that God is the creator and the, the giver of life, um, and so the boy's life returned to him, and he is now alive. He's breathing again, this little fella. Elijah picks him up, doesn't hold him by the hand and he walks down the stairs by himself, but he carries him. And in the process of carrying him down, he simply says very undramatically to the mother, look, son's alive. Just matter of fact. And she, of course, then responds, the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God, now I know that you're a man of God. And that the word of God through your mouth is truth. She is assured in her faith, she's established in Elijah is a man of God, he's following the true and living God and that what Elijah speaks happens. Well, we learn a lot of things about from this. What do we learn about God 
from this whole chapter, in fact, but also from this story. Well, let me encourage you to reflect on that. And this little bit now, for the next five or ten minutes, is going to be like me downloading information. And you're going to get some of it. You're going to remember all of it. I'm going to be barely able to remember it or regurgitate it either. This is what my reflections gave me. This chapter teaches me that God hates sin, that he judges sinners justly, giving the drought and so on. Uh, He keeps his promises. He has mercy on those in need. He loves the widow and the fatherless. He adopts foreigners or Gentiles, if you like, into his family. God is the God who creates. He sends the rain and causes droughts. He's the ruler and governor of this natural world. It's not Mother Nature, it's Father God. He's the God who provides. He provides meat, bread and meat day by day, twice a day for Elijah by the brook. And he's the God who provides daily flour and oil for the widow in her house. And he is the God who redeems. He creates, he provides, he redeems. He brings the widow's son back from death to life and the widow from disbelief to saving faith. He is the Lord of life and he is the God of the resurrection. He's the living God who is good. He hears prayer and he keeps his word. Learn a lot about God from this chapter. And in fact, it's not really about Elijah. It's about the God of Elijah as we work our way through these stories. What do we learn about prayer? Well, A.W. Pink tells us, follow the example of Elijah, that he went alone with God, went up into the upstairs room just with the boy. He was fervent because he cried out to the Lord. He felt what he was praying. He just wasn't saying words he was coming from the heart he felt it he relied on his relationship with God O Lord my God God is sovereign did you do this he is earnest because he stretches out three times over the boy and his specific let this boy's soul come back to him they are good examples for us to adopt into our prayer life God heard the voice of Elijah and God hears us We're told that many, many times in the scriptures and I don't need to repeat them for you here this morning. Except to remind you of this, which I have done on numerous occasions, God answers our prayer in four different ways. Three of the four are yes, they're in the affirmative. One is only in the negative. God answers our prayers definitely, that's a yes. God answers our prayers yes, but different. God answers our prayers yes, but not yet, it's delayed. So God answers definitely, yes, but differently, or yes, but not just yet. You've got to grow a bit or the timing is not right. And then, of course, God, our Heavenly Father, in all wisdom and because he loves us, will sometimes say, no, prayer denied, because he knows that's the best thing for us. So sometimes God says, go, sometimes he'll say, grow, sometimes he'll say, slow, and sometimes he'll say, no. Lots of lessons about prayer from Elijah. You can look at the widow and how she comes to faith out of paganism, being a Baal worshipper, into a believer in the true and living God. There are various steps and I encourage you to think it through. She discovered somehow that God was real because she says to Elijah, um, the Lord your God the living is the living God, is alive. She began by, her faith journey begins by trusting God's word through Elijah when she goes to make that first cake of bread or loaf of bread for him. She experiences these daily provisions. 
There is her faith is tested with this crisis and she is certainly made aware of her sin and God does that. It's often in the tests of life, in the hard times, the afflictions of life, that we are made to examine ourselves. And it's always a good question to ask. If something is going wrong, Lord, is this because of something I have done, a sin that I need to put right? Is this you disciplining me? It's a good question to ask yourself, but you need the, the wisdom of Solomon before you ever ask that of somebody else. You should never point the accusing finger like Job's friends made the mistake of. And then, of course, out of this crisis, because of the miracle of resurrection, she reaches assurance of faith. Now I know that you're a man of God and that God's word is true through you. I wonder where you are on this faith journey. What step are you up to? Are you in this carriage of faith called the roller coaster ride of life? There are twists, there are turns, there are ups, there are downs, there are times you go fast and times you go slow. And there is a time when the carriage will stop, when we disembark from this life. How did Elijah reason his way forward in the midst of this crisis? The passage is not clear. This is me just thinking about this. If I was in Elijah's situation, he must have processed, God led me here. I have been fully obedient to what God wanted me to do, 100%. Go tell Ahab it's going to be a drought. Tick. Go to the brook Cherith. Tick. Go to the Zarephath, the house of the widow. Tick. God has kept me. God has been providing for me. God's got to have a purpose in this. He's training me, training her, preparing us for something. And I still haven't finished my mission. So what's this all about? He's reasoning his way through to, like Jesus expected the disciples in that boat when there was a storm. Why don't you have any faith? It's not the end of your life. God's got a purpose for you. And Jesus expected them to trust and to believe. So too for us, to reason our way through to he is true and he is reliable. He is good and he is kind. That doesn't mean he'll always do what we want. During the week we had contact with a guy who was on, not part of our church, but he's visited a few times over the years. and He was part of uh, the car dealership where I bought our, we bought our car and uh, his mum has got a brain tumour and she's in Hong Kong and he's flown there yesterday. So yesterday, before and after the wedding, we're, I'm praying with him in the hospital room and so on. And this crisis has come. And it's very unlikely the doctors have said that there's no way mum's recovering from this. So you would expect that. But God is using this crisis to get him to examine his life of what's going on. And he's got a hundred questions. And Charlie, Pastor Charlie, Pastor Alvin, we've all spoken to him. God uses a crisis to get our attention. God uses a crisis to grow us in faith. He doesn't do it to hurt us. He does it to grow us. Elijah certainly also reminds us of the Lord Jesus. Like Jesus, he comes into a situation of great need. He calls for and asks for a great sacrifice the widow, to give the oil, the last bit of it, firstly to him. And he promises and he leads into greater joy. Like Jesus, Elijah has a calling on the national scale. 
but he also deals with individuals and families. He enters into and shares in their life. He enters into their ordinary life. He shares in their sufferings, like he does with us. When pain came to this particular house, he shares in it. Pain touched his heart too. He comes alongside, he prays, he heals, and in this case, restores. So much like the Lord Jesus. This isn't sound, but it's reflection of it. When Elijah says to the woman, give me your son, that's like what Jesus would say to you. Give me your situation. Give me your problem. Give me your need. He lodged in the upper room, which is where he now dwells in glory. And he will reunite our loved ones and us after the resurrection. Elijah reflects the Lord Jesus in so many ways. There are questions on this passage, some of those, available for you for connect groups, but I'd encourage you to take them and use them personally and privately to reflect on this whole chapter of God's word and see what God wants to teach and say to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story, a simple story, but very powerful, with lots of lessons in it for us. Lord, you're sovereign and nice. You're good and kind. You work your purposes out. Though we live in this fallen, broken world, you haven't abandoned us, but in fact you've entered it, and you journey alongside us, growing us. So Lord, help us to reflect, to learn and respond in ways that are pleasing to you, that we, like the widow, might come to very strong assurance that you are the true and living God and that your word is true. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.